Welcome to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and we've got another great show as part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living author interview series. Thank you so much for listening today. As I say, we've got a great show. We have got a really great guest that contributes to that show who we're going to introduce in just a moment. But quickly, if you missed any episodes, last week was our 657th episode, and we spoke to author Kathy Clayman about her new book, Proving Ground, a great interview about the first women programmers of the ENIAC computer. Got to check that out. Two weeks ago, I spoke with Claudia Clark about her new book, Dear Barack, about the important but unlikely, especially in this divisive political day and age, of the political partnership between President Barack Obama and German Prime Minister Angela Merkel. Wonderful stuff. If you missed those shows, you can go back and check them out, along with my entire backlog of shows, all free for you there on our website, Not Old. Dashbetter.com. And if you leave a review, we'll read it at the end of each show. Leave reviews on Apple Podcasts for us, please. Today's interview is really fun and so eye-opening. I love these science interviews. We are talking with Smithsonian Associate Mark Seifer. Mark Seifer will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, so please check out our show notes for more details. But we have a wonderful interview with Mark Seifer today in anticipation of Mark's Smithsonian Associates presentation. In the 21st century, the life and accomplishments of inventor, engineer, and futurist Nikola Tesla have risen from almost total obscurity in topics of fresh interest to today, where Nikola Tesla is a popular subject regardless of the setting. Our guest today, author Mark Seifer, one of the world's leading Tesla experts, surveys for us Tesla's most significant discoveries that continue to influence today's military technology and diplomatic strategies. Let's listen as author Mark Seifer reads from his new book, Tesla, Wizard at War. In 1896, Tesla receives Swami Vivekananda in his laboratory. And what is the laboratory for Tesla? It's not just a location, some place where he sees some experiments to sell them, as many scientists do nowadays. No, it is his temple where he explores, where he is in connection with the universe and higher beings, and where he works. When Vivekananda came, he was completely shocked because Tesla first attached himself to various currents and glowed in the dark, and these were emanations, emanations of Indian gods. Indra is the one in Indian mythology who throws lightning, and the other divinities also appear for certain visions that are very similar to the electrical sights Vivekananda saw in Tesla's laboratory. These were strong electrical discharges to which Tesla was attached. He would circulate the capacitance of his body, I mean the electricity, so that it doesn't damage him, and he can glow for half an hour without a problem. Vivekananda was completely puzzled. Tesla is the only Western man who was granted the status of a saint in India, for example. If you go to Kolkata, you will find Vivekananda's center there. And if you go inside, you will not see either Ramakrishna or Vivekananda's portrait. You'll find Tesla's portrait in the first place because Vivekananda says in his letters, I met a man who's completely different from all the other men here in the West. His is the origin of of the origin of Indian divinities. He discusses Shiva, Vishnu and Krishna. In Tesla's electrical discharges, Vivekananda says, I even felt the presence of Brahma himself. 
That, of course, was our guest today, Mark Seifer, reading from his new book, Tesla, World at War. Mark Seifer will offer us new insights into the brilliant mind of Nikola Tesla, including information about his particle beam weapon, also known as the Death Ray. And Mark Seifer will explore his military negotiations with pivotal historical figures, including his links to Joseph Stalin. General Andrew McNaughton, Churchill's right-hand man, was also a connection. Vannevar Bush, head of the U.S. Office of Scientific Research and Development, also a connection to Nikola Tesla during World War II. And the important president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates, author interview series, Smithsonian Associate, Dr. Mark Seifer. Dr. Mark Seifer, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me, Paul. Thank you so much for talking to us today. I think this is going to be a real audience favorite. Smithsonian Associates, of course, is um, going to be featuring this interview and your upcoming presentation. And we're going to be talking today about this fantastic book that you've written, Tesla, Wizard at War, The Genius, The Particle Beam Weapon, and The Pursuit of Power. You've so graciously, generously read a passage from the book today to us. But why don't we start in our conversation with you just telling us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. I think that'll be really helpful for people to hear. Yes, it'll be a webinar, and I'm going to discuss uh, the book um, and all aspects of the book, and I could get into it. But that's the, the main thing. I plan to show uh, images of, of Tesla and the people that he knew, and uh, you know he's connected to both World War One and World War Two. So there'll be uh, photos of, of uh, you know Telefunken when he worked for the Germans in World War One, and uh, the various wireless towers that he was involved in. Uh, helping, you know, transmit wireless communication. And then his particle beam weapon in World War II and the, the higher-ups in World War II that he was involved with uh, and all the uh, back and forth. So I put together a slide presentation, which will be the main part of it, and it'll, it'll drive the, uh, the presentation. I think it's going to be great, and I, th- I think this subject is really going to be fascinating. You, of course, uh, have written the bestseller, Wizard, The Life and Times of Nikola Tesla. Our guest is Mark Siever. Mark Siever will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates coming up. Uh, please, uh, dear audience, check our website for more information about Mark Seifer, uh, his new book, and the upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. I wonder, Dr. Seifer, with two books now, um, you really have an interest in and in a fascination with Nikola Tesla. I, I'm interested, too. What, what got you so interested in Nikola Tesla in the first place? Well, it's a very strange story. I was teaching parapsychology, ESP. This was back in the 1970s. And I was envisioning uh, departments of parapsychology opening up uh, for those people who are our age who you know, were really around the 1970s. Uh, there was a lot of interest in that. <laughs> Remember it well. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, you know, ESP, uh, telepathy, remote viewing. The uh, CIA was using Ingo Swan uh, for remote viewing to look at Russian military installations, which was really actually traveling clairvoyance. Uh, Charles Tart was studying out-of-body experiences. Uh, and then there were near-death experiences where people actually felt that they left their body and saw the body on the ground. Um, and then Uri Geller was a super psychic that I got to meet. I'm still. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I remember Uri Geller. Absolutely. Yeah, That's fascinating. Too. I'm still good friends with him. 
mm. and that, that connection was just incredible. And the man who brought him to uh, America and the world was Andrea Puharch, who was a medical doctor um, who wrote about parapsychology. And I ended up interviewing him, and it turned out he had a close tie with Tesla. So uh, that's some of the background. But I was actually studying a man by the name of Lapsang Rampa, and he had written a book called The Third Eye. And when I was working my master's degree, which was from the University of Chicago, I, I kept the book. It's a picture. Look, the guy almost looks like Orson Welles with a with a, a, a circular eye in the center of his forehead. And I'm thinking, oh, what's a <laughs> white guy doing in this Tibetan book? <laughs> so it took me a year before I opened up the book and actually read it. It's a great book about this young Tibetan uh, kid who is the uh, who's a psychic for the Dalai Lama before this Dalai Lama, the one before this one. So it's like the late, late 1940s, very early 1950s. And uh, when you get into the second one, he's, he's, it's called Doctor from Lahasa. He, he talks about how he got his medical degree in China. And then in the third book, the Rampa story, you find out that Rampa is actually dead and that he uh, and that this British author, his name is Cyril Hoskins, wanted to die and Rampa uh, wanted to stay alive. So they swapped souls. Well, that, that was a mind blowing, ridiculous story. So the real author of the third eye is not Lapsang Rampa. It's Cyril Hoskins, uh, who's, who's been taken over by Lapsang Rampa, this this Tibetan. So I thought it was just this crazy story. And uh I highly recommend the books. They're really fun to read. So I went down to New York to do some research. I'm at the New York Public Library, and I came across a book about avatars, enlightened beings. One of them was Lapsang Rampa. Another was Jesus Christ. And another was this guy called Nikola Tesla. And it said in this book uh, that Tesla had invented remote control, wireless communication, uh, our electrical power grid, um, the induction motor, fluorescent and neon lights, um, vertical takeoff airplanes, which becomes like the Osprey. I'm going, come on, a guy couldn't have invented all these things and uh, I would never have heard of him. But I'm in the library, so I did a little research and sure enough, uh, there was an article I, I found on high frequency phenomena written by Nikola Tesla. So I came back to Rhode Island where I was teaching parapsychology at Providence College and I spoke to Howard Smuckler, who was the editor of the ESP magazine, the one I was writing for. And I said, you know, I came across this guy, Tesla. He said, oh, Tesla here. So he gives me two books. The first book was uh, the O'Neill biography. It's called Prodigal Genius, which is an excellent book about Tesla. And the second was a very far out book. It was called Nikola Tesla and the Venusian Spaceship. And it hypothesized in the 1970s that he was still alive, living on a UFO, traveling up to this, Arthur Matthews was the, the author, up to this Canadian place above uh, you know, Quebec uh, in the Laurentian Mountains or where the heck it was after the, the roads end. And, he, and this UFO was landing and Tesla was still alive. So it turned out that Andrea Puharich, the guy who brought Uri Gellert to the United States, um, had actually gone up to Canada and interviewed Arthur Matthews. So we went to interview uh, Dr. Puharich and he told us that he was working on a book on Wardenclyffe on Tesla's tower and that he was very good friends with uh, John O'Neill, who was no longer alive. And so that's really how I got into it. Um, but what really grabbed me was uh, that after you read the O'Neill book, there's all these gaps in the story. And so I wanted to get a book of his patents. Well, in this time, this was 1976, the only way you could get a book of his patents was to go to a UFO organization. And that was the only place you could get 
the O'Neill biography. So once I had the patents, I said, it's a thousand page book. He's got about a hundred patents in there and his articles and stuff. I'm going, this is a huge story. No one's ever heard of this guy and I've got the patents here. So I made him the subject of my doctoral dissertation, trying to figure out why his name disappeared. And also I went into the heart and soul of each of these inventions like the radio or remote control, wireless communication, uh, the induction motor and the hydroelectric power system. And I found to my astonishment, he really laid at the basis of all of them. And that's how it morphed into my biography, Wizard, The Life and Times of Nikola Tesla. Um, and, and I was just ahead of the <laughs> curve. Uh, and then, of course, he became hugely famous. After that. <laughs> yeah, you, dro- you drove all of that. You know, when, and you say his, his name disappeared. Uh, that's an interesting way of putting it because, you know, we so many are, are familiar with the Tesla name today, maybe for for other things. And we're going to talk about your book and, and his uh, his applications for, for military in particular. But he and there, there have been some great feuds in history uh, over science. And to say that Marconi, uh, the uh, another inventor and and Tesla were feuded with one another is probably an understatement. <laughs> I found that to be really fascinating in the book because it seemed like it was it was much more than just a feud. Tesla was angry with Marconi at times, sued the Marconi company, and I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about this feud, this this war that took place between Marconi and Tesla, and whether it was jealousy or infringement over Tesla's work. I, I just was curious to know more about it, and I and I know our audience probably will be more familiar with the Marconi name than the Tesla name for some other things that we'll talk about, but maybe put all this in context for us. The question really is, who is the inventor of what becomes the radio and wireless communication? Mm-hmm. And it's mainly a debate between Tesla and Marconi. There really is a man before both of these guys. His name is Mahan Loomis. And he was like in the 1880s. So he's 10, 15, almost 20 years before Tesla. And he actually had wireless, a form of wireless communication where he was able to send, uh, you know, wireless impulses between mountaintops and even got $50,000 from the U.S. Congress to, to exploit all this. So Loomis kind of disappears from the history books. But Tesla knew of Loomis's work and he worked on his work. So Tesla begins his study of wireless communication in 1891. He gives a lecture at uh, Columbia University. It's called Columbia College at the time. And then everyone was so fascinated. Alexander Graham Bell was there. um, And uh, Alma Sperry was there, the guy who invents the gyroscope. Um, A lot of famous people were there. And uh, so the Royal Society in London wanted him to speak. So he goes to the Royal Society of London in 1892 and he gives a lecture on wireless communication and he had wireless light bulbs at that time. So what Tesla had done was when certain frequencies were hit, you know, uh, Edison had invented a light bulb, but we, we all remember how we would burn our fingers when we change the light bulb. Well, Tesla invented fluorescent lights, which are cold. He said, why waste all that energy and heat when you could just have light? But these light bulbs, different light bulbs lit, different colored light bulbs lit when different frequencies were hit. And this was in 1893. So he already had selective tuning at that time. And he blew their minds. And the, the, all the greats were, were at that conference, you know, in, in, at the Royal Society in London. Uh, William Crookes and Lord Raleigh, uh, 
and Kelvin, and you know, on and on, all these amazing uh, doer, uh, many different famous people uh, were there. J.J. Uh, Thompson, who gets the uh, Nobel Prize for the discovery of the electron, he's there. Raleigh got a, a Nobel Prize. So you had two Nobel Prize winners uh, at this conference. So that's 1892. He comes back to America in 1893. He gives these same kinds of lectures. And this was during the war of the currents between Edison and Tesla, who was going to run the, uh, win the, uh, the right to harness Niagara Falls. And so Edison was touting direct current, and Tesla was touting alternating current with Westinghouse, who was his backer. And the difference was incredibly uh, dramatic. With Edison's system, you could only send electricity about a mile, power dropping off over distance, and only for lighting houses. So if you were close to the power source, which was a coal-operated power plant, uh, your lights were bright, and if you were a mile away, you had dim lights. So if you wanted to ignite the entire Northeast, you would have to have, and at that time, there were 3,000 little local power plants all producing coal, uh, smoking for each village throughout the entire Northeast. So you had Edison, your Thompson, L.U. Thompson, and Westinghouse, these three major forces, and they each had about uh, 1,000 power plants. There was like 3,000 power plants at the time. So during Tesla's lecture on wireless communication in 1893, thousands of people attended, for instance, in St. Louis, he would send electricity, AC electricity through his body, like 500,000 volts through his body, and hold a light bulb in his hand. And the light bulb would lit when, when the resonant frequency was hit. And so everybody knew who Tesla was. He was world famous. And since the difference between Tesla's uh, AC and Edison's DC was so dramatic, Westinghouse won the right to harness Niagara Falls in, in 1896 and 1897. And Tesla spoke as the inventor. So this date, these dates are very important when there's the discussion about Marconi, because Marconi is, is a youngster. He doesn't get interested in, in wireless until 1894. And he, his first patent is 1896. And that patent really predates an important wireless patent of Tesla's, which was uh, in 1897, 1898. So because Marconi's patent was before Tesla's, even though Tesla had demonstrated wireless for, for a number of years and lectured before all the great scientists of the day, uh, Marconi had that edge of the patent. So the real uh, issue had to do with the technology behind each of the patents. And um, and so uh, can I take just a second to explain the difference in the patents? Because that, that really... Please. Bonds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is all helpful. Yes, please. So... so the difference is, is that with Marconi's system, you could only transmit Morse code. And I found a quote from 1901 from a guy that was working with Marconi. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's like V-Y-V-Y-A-N, Vivian, something like that. But he was Marconi's right arm. And he said, we didn't even know what frequency we're using. So they could only transmit along one frequency and only transmit dots and dashes with a Hertz spark gap transmitter. Tesla invented continuous wave frequencies. He'd already demonstrated it to the Royal Society with lighting up these light bulbs. Um, so selective tuning, the radio, the different radio stations were all based on this continuous wave frequency. So Tesla's continuous wave frequency was the basis for what becomes radio, cell phone technology, wireless communication. In 1901, the same year that Marconi is saying, we're only transmitting a single um, 
frequency, and we don't even know what frequency it is. Tesla's multiplying frequencies, and he's telling J.P. Morgan, who's backing him in wireless, I can create an unlimited number of wireless channels. Tesla is indeed the inventor of what becomes cell phone technology, where every single person on the planet can have their own frequency. That's Tesla's invention. And uh, John Hayes Hammond Jr. called it Tesla's prophetic uh, genius patent. It, it's for encryption, radio guidance systems, television, radio, uh, uh, Wi-Fi, all of that. That's all based on this one patent. So that's really the main difference between the two of these guys. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. We are with Dr. Mark Seifer. Dr. Mark Seifer is a writer, a university lecturer, also a handwriting expert. Dr. Seifer has written the best-selling book, Wizard, The Life and Times of Nikola Tesla, and the new book, Tesla, Wizard at War, The Genius, The Particle Beam Weapon, and The Pursuit of Power. That book will be on sale August 30th. We're going to have links to where you can find out more information about Dr. Seifer and his new book, as well as his upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. Dr. Seifer, you know, all of this information uh, dating back to 1892, these light bulbs, the Royal Society in London, and, and all of Tesla's work, Tesla was ahead of his time, no question about it, and ahead of his time with regard to the particle beam, also known as the death ray. That's got a real ring to it, you know, from a marketing standpoint. I wonder if you'd just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, in relation to the military technology that, that Tesla was a part of. Tell us a little bit about the particle beam, the, the death ray. Yeah, before I do, I, w I wanted to mention uh, Sperry, who's often overlooked. Sperry invents the hmm. gyroscope. And... Tesla, you know, on the on route to the Niagara Falls, whoever wins the right to harness Niagara Falls is going to, uh, you know, dominate all Northeast. And in fact, once Tesla's system was put in at Niagara Falls, he wiped out the 3,000 little local power stations because from this one place, he could transmit electricity and not only for lighting homes, but for running uh, power, you know, for refrigerators, vacuums. Uh, factories, all of that from this one thing. So Tesla's launched to the stratosphere. But what what the way to get there was to was to light the Chicago World's Fair of 1893. The Chicago World's Fair was 400 years since the discovery of America by Christopher Columbus. And there's a very famous story about Columbus. He needed the money to be able to uh, get to the Orient. He thought if he went you know, towards what becomes America, he could keep going, he'd, he'd get to the Orient, but he ran into America, and that's how he discovers America. So he says to uh, Ferdinand and Isabella, you know, the, the king and queen of Spain, if I could stand an egg on its end, will you give me the money? And, of course, they say, no one could do that. Okay, yeah, we'll give you the money. So he tapped a little bit of the bottom of it, and it stood on its end, and then they, they gave him the money. That's the myth behind how he got the money. So what so what Tesla did 
was he created his rotating magnetic field in the shape of an egg. And he had that egg spin around and around and around. And so that's Tesla's genius. He did Columbus by putting and standing an egg on its end. So you see the egg flat. And then once the uh, rotating magnetic field takes over, the egg begins to spin and it stands on its end. That's the basis of the gyroscope, the Sperry gyroscope, who was at Tesla's uh, lecture in, uh, you know, in 1891 at uh, Columbia College, which becomes Columbia University. So, And this is Sperry Rand, the corporate, the technology corporation that dates back all the way to the to this event yes yeah oh okay got it got it okay good so, thank you yeah so you see please. tesla at the heart of the gyroscope uh i love uh-huh. that i don't know if you would you ever have a gyroscope as a kid would you see oh of course spin? oh absolutely loved him yeah because you could hold them at different angles and the weight would shift and it was just a fascinating little device you know not even really a toy this was an actual piece of technology you could hold in your hands yeah and it's i remember it sets up its own coordinates in space so there's there's Uh, a military aspect to all this so so sperry is working with hammond who who had partnered with tesla um and they they come up with uh you know the the automatic pilot in in the airplane which used the gyroscope and used uh tesla's wireless communication so all of that is is uh linked to uh another aspect of of the military uh story which uh, you know i do get into in this uh, in the book wizard at war so you would ask about the particle beam weapon um tesla had invented something called a carbon lamp and what he did was he took a lamp and in the center of the lamp he placed a piece of carbon and electrified it and the electricity would bounce off the edge the bound the, the boundary of the lamp and then bounce back onto the carbon you know he used a reflective inner inner side in, inner tube essentially to the to the glass so you have it bouncing back onto the carbon and he would disintegrate uh the carbon he then used a ruby and he mentions this he says i used a ruby and i put a ruby in there and he said he said i saw this directed line come out now i think that's exactly how a, loop, a ruby laser is created so i think tesla is actually an inventor of, of the laser but he never exploited it um but what would happen is chips of these particles that he placed in the in the center of this carbon button lamp would fly out and would hit him and it, it would pierce his body and it would fly across the room. And that was really the basis of how the particle beam weapon began. What Tesla realized, if you take a flashlight and you aim it, you know, at a, at a deer, let's say, who's two or three hundred feet away, it spreads out and you lose all of its power, you know. The laser is a single directed line, which which is uh, which doesn't spread out at all. Um, so Tesla's problem was, when he wanted to create a weapon, was if I had a death ray, if I had an electrical ray that I sent out, just like the flashlight, it would spread out and would lose all its power. And so how can I solve this problem? And that's how he came up with the particle beam weapon. So instead of a, a ray, he used little tiny particles of tungsten, which he electrified, let's say, to a negative charge. And the Van de Graaff uh, generator would have a belt, an electrical belt. He used an ionic stream of particles that were also charged 
to a negative charge. So you have a negative against a negative, which causes a repelling force, and that would repel out the, the, the barrel of wow. the gun. Fascinating stuff. Dr. Mark Seifer has been our guest today. Dr. Seifer will be at the Smithsonian Associates coming up. You'll find more information in our show notes today on our website, on the Smithsonian Associates website. Again, Dr. Seifer's wonderful new book. I've been given an advanced copy. It's going to be on sale August 30th. The title of the book is Tesla, Wizard at War, The Genius, The Particle Beam Weapon, and The Pursuit of Power. Dr. Seifer, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for your generous uh, time and reading and uh, for all this great work on on Nikola Tesla. Just a a fascinating individual and uh, such innovation and uh, creativity. But Thank you, and we'll be in touch again soon, I know. Thanks, Dr. Seifer. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. This was, this was just great, and uh, you're a great conversationalist. Oh, well, thank you very much, sir. Thanks to Mark Seifer for joining me today and for his reading from his new book, Tesla, Wizard at War, and Mark's excellent preparation really makes my job easy. Making my job easy, and thanks as well to our wonderful Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. Thanks to you, our equally wonderful audience. Please be safe. And I emphasize this because we need to all be safe by eliminating assault rifles. Yes, assault rifles. Assault rifles should only be in the hands of the military. They are killing our children and grandchildren in the very place they learn, school. Please, let's do better by eliminating assault rifles. Let's talk about better, the not old better show. Thanks, everybody, and I'll see you next week.